Good morning, Calvary Chapel. Good morning. Hey, there you go. Hey, we're in, we're in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. We're on the Sermon on the Mount, and as you know, the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us as kingdom of God believers how to live in this evil world. Jesus has said many times, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and that's what we want to hear. We want to hear the words of our Lord in our hearts, in our spirits. This is what I want you to do. And that's what we're learning on the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this week, I have as a title, Serve God or Serve Your Stuff, Your Idols. And believe me, we're living in a world full of stuff gods. They're all over the place. They want your attention. They want your heart. They want to steal everything from you. So that's what we're going to be learning today. So if you would, stand as we read the Word of God together. Chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. Do not, this is a command, lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore that the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. For he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or stuff or idols. This is the word of God. Please, God. Please thank you so much. Stay, stay standing. Father, thank you for this time to study the word of God. Speak to us today things you want us to know. Lord, there's idols in each one of our lives, little gods that want to take our attention away from you. May we identify them today and may we deal with them and place our God where he rightfully belongs high and exalted up in our lives, the highest of all. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. And we, know, we learned last time that in the disciples' prayer, which traditionally is called the Lord's Prayer, we heard Jesus say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are in preparation here for another kingdom. We're in kingdom training while we're here. Now, Jesus was talking about uh, how we are to pray and how we are to address God. But he's also telling us how to, in, the, in our lesson that will be coming up, he's telling us how to survive the idols of this world who want to steal your attention, steal your loyalty, steal your lives. That's what these idols want to do. And remember, life is so temporary. Life is so full of distractions. And it's easy for us to get distracted and, and, and discouraged on this journey called our life because it's not easy. And I think that what we're seeing a lot of in our culture today is smoke and mirrors. Deception abounds. Now, when you were little or when you were older, you went to a fun house, I bet. Sometime in your life, you've been to a fun house. And you looked in those mirrors, and those mirrors distorted your image. And this is just a, uh, just a reminder of that. You look, and you think it's your Hercules, but this is how you really are. Okay? But it's a distortion. We're not seeing things as they really are. And what you want to do is have spiritual eyes to see what is going on in your world around you, in the culture around you. Now, I want you to think about this. Believe it or not, your accumulation of stuff... The stuff idols will not bring you joy. Jesus is teaching us, he taught us last week, and how to deal with this world stuff by focusing on God, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed and holy and honor would be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The focus is on him. The antidote for the world's pull is our eyes focused in the right direction. Don't keep it so horizontal that you forget the vertical. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus, and then you can survive the horizontal. Okay, that's the message there. So the disciples' prayer is all about Jesus and his kingdom. And again, I, I want you to realize 
You're in training for a future kingdom. That is what you're doing here. Life here is not all about you being hilariously happy and just so fulfilled and that sort of thing. It's training for another place. This is temporary. Temporary. T-E-M-P-O-N. <laughs> temporary. Yes, and we're here to do the Father's will. Now, that's not so easy, is it? When I have my flesh pulled here and my flesh pulled there and I have the idols and the culture tugging at me, you must get your priorities straight. And remember, you're a child of God. You know you're a child of God. Sons and daughters of the king. And as sons and daughters of the kings, you have rights that nobody else has in this world. Eight billion people in this world, and I bet there's several hundred million that are true, born-again of the Spirit Christians that have this right that I'm going to describe to you right now. And that right is in Hebrews 4.16, to boldly approach the throne of grace with your petitions, with your, with, your, with your feelings, with your emotions, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That word boldly is this. It is the word parisia. Parisia. And it means that you can come before God's throne and you can pour out your heart to him. God, I don't understand this. God, I'm angry. God, I'm disgusted. I'm going through discouragement now. I can pour out my heart to him in earnest and honesty before my God. And without fear of retribution. That's really what that means, that word parisia. Without fear or anxiety. Folks, the secret to life is to see ourselves as children of God. So many things pull us away. Stay close to your God, and he will help you through this mess called life. And, and everybody's life is messy. If, if, I was to, to, if you would really be able to put on this screen your life, you would see M-E-S-S, mess. Every one of us, every one of us, just different levels at different times. You could be in low, low mess right now. Oh, it's not so bad. And then mass, big mess, and then back down to low. You know, it's always something. It's always something. So this week, are you going to serve God? And I would suggest to you make this decision moment by moment. Or are you going to serve the stuff idols that are just inundating you from this culture? That remains to be seen. Now, before I go any farther, I want you to, re to think about this. This is a very important concept here. The Bible is not against wealth, property, or possessions. Please hear that. Please hear that. There are many people in the Bible that were wealthy. Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy. Lydia was a seller of purple. She had a big giant house that people could meet in, so she probably had some wealth. The Bible focuses this. It's the right view of your stuff. The right view of your stuff. Now, there's a, there's a verse here that I'm going to share with you, and you're going to hear this another time in this talk. I, I want to emphasize it, okay? It is 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 and 18. This will give you a bird's-eye view of how God views wealth. He says this, Command those who are rich in this world not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches. You hear that word uncertain? They can fly awake right quick but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Did you hear that? God gives us richly all things to enjoy. He's not trying to hold things back from us. Why? Let them do good that, that they may be rich in good works, ready to, ready to give, willing to share. Now hear this. It's important. The theme throughout this talk is going to be, it's not mine. Everything I have, it's not mine. I'm a steward. I'm a caretaker of the master's property. What does God want from us? He wants you to focus on, he does not want you to focus on the accumulation of wealth for your security. Your wealth will not make you secure. By the way, your wealth will not make you happy. Your wealth will not make you feel fulfilled. Money is a tool to be used as God leads. Remember, it's not mine. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to do something strange here that we usually don't do, but say these words with me. 
It's not mine. Let's do it one more time. It's not mine. Good. It's not mine. It's God's. I'm simply a steward of the master's goods, and we'll cover this a little bit more in depth in just a few minutes. So verse 19 through 21, we're going to see two treasures that are contrasted. Earth's and heavens, okay? So 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And watch what happens to those earthly things. Moths, rust, destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But contrasted, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, treasure number one are earth treasures. Do not store up earth's treasures. Now, you know what they are, all the stuff that you can accumulate. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. That is a present imperative. Now, you should know by now that the present tense means that it's ongoing. An imperative is a command in the Greek. This is a command from the Lord Jesus Christ to every believer, every kingdom of God follower. A continuous command. And the word lay up is the word Thessaruzio, and Robert Dean says this. It's, he says it means this. Do not treasure your treasure. Do not treasure your treasure. Do not have this inordinate obsession with your treasure. John MacArthur puts it this way. It carries the connotation of stacking or laying up horizontally as one stacks coins. This passage has the idea that of stockpiling or hoarding. Now, what are we hoarding? Our money and our wealth. It's kept in little secret places, and it gives us the security that we're looking for. It's a show of wealth to create an environment of lazy overindulgence. John MacArthur. Now, this is important. Again, this is not saying don't save for retirement. This is not saying that you can have, don't have a rainy day fund. This is not saying that you can't go on trips and you cannot enjoy stuff. Or, that is not what this is saying. This is saying not to have an inordinate preoccupation with stuff and money and the things of this world, which are temporary. Now, remember this. I, I want to say it again. All the world's stuff is temporary. You realize that, don't you? I hope you do, because I'm going to give you an example here in just a second. Everything wears out. Moths and rust destroy, and thieves, it's happening more and more now, break in and steal. Everything wears out. Everything loses its glitter. Now, remember this point, and I think you can identify with this. The flesh-driven human is never satisfied. Always, always, always wants more and more. Your flesh will never be satisfied. And again, your flesh is overfed in this culture. Your, your flesh is well-fed. Wants its way. Bigger, greater, 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 bigger, bigger. Now, I want to show you a picture here of a house, of a, a, little, a, little, a little outlay here. A man named Bill Gates owns this house. And I want to read you a little bit about this. Now, Bill Gates is, of course, one of the richest men in the world. Billions, billions, not billion, billions, billions. Listen to this. This, worth, this house is worth $130 million. It's dubbed Xanadu, Xanadu 2.0. It spans 66,000 square feet. Now, you could play hide-and-go-seek in that house and never be found. They could find your skeleton in a corner someplace. <laughs> His tax bill is a million dollars a year. Now, this is the same guy that's living in this little shanty, okay? That want, that's part of the World Economic Forum that wants to redistribute your wealth all throughout the world. Yes, yes, part of, that, part of that whole thing. They have America join the global community. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you think that Bill Gates has any thoughts of downsizing from this to a house near you? Oh, yes, Bill, move next to me. You can have the condo right next to me. They're nice. They're nice. But it ain't Xanadu. Okay? William Barclay says this about things wearing out. All purely physical pleasures have a way of wearing out. 
At each successive enjoyment of them, the thrill becomes less thrilling. It requires more of them to produce the same effect. They are like a drug which loses its initial potency and which becomes increasingly less effective. Well said, William Barclay. Now, I want you to think about something. Think about your brand new car. This brand new car that, that you absolutely love. Oh, this is my new car. Now, what do you do with that new car? You wash it every five minutes. You waxing it every five minutes. When you go to the store, where do you park that car? Way out in left field. Okay, don't anybody come near my car. Five years later, what do you have? Squeezing into parking spots. Your kids have already scratched the side of the car. You've had some sort of damage to it, so it's lost its glitter. But you know where that car is going to end up? It's going to end up right here. Right here. This is the car graveyard. This beautiful car one day will end up right here. Now, there's a word for this. Everything in this world wears out. Not just our bodies. Everything wears out. It's called entropy. Entropy. And there's a big, long definition in physics that I was going to read to you. But I'll read you a summary statement here. It's, it's the degree of disorder or randomness in a system. The second law of thermodynamics states this, that entropy always increases with time. means things devolve over time. There's a gradual decline into disorder. And I want to suggest to you that entropy reigns supreme on planet Earth. Earth is not evolving. We're devolving. That's the facts. Everything wears out. The only thing that lasts is what God wills. What God wills. That's the stuff that will endure for eternity. Now, take a journey with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 13 20 through 21. And what you are going to see is the rich fool. Not the rich young ruler, but the rich fool. Now, you're going to be interested in verse 16, so I'll start reading in verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want my stuff. You hear that in that, in that request? I want my stuff, Jesus. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or, or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed, be aware of covetousness for one's life does not, not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And then he says a parable. Now you watch the eyes and the mice in this parable. The eyes and the mice. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room for my crops? I have no room for my stuff. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, greater barns. There I will store up all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, listen to this, isn't this pride? I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods. Oh, you're such a good guy, soul. Laid up for many years. I'm safe. I'm secure because I have my stuff. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God, why, listen to this, but God said to him, fool. Now you look this up in the Strong's, it means egotist, it means stupid. Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This person did not realize he was a steward of what God had given him. He thought it was all him. And very soon, very quickly, his life was snuffed out. All he could think about was the horizontal, never about eternity. Remember, this is temporary. This is eternal. We're just going through a short little blip of time here now. You belong to another kingdom, folks. Another kingdom. Earth riches must not own you. Treasure number two are treasures in heaven. Verse 20, again, a command, but lay up for yourself a present, a present imperative. Yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what you want to do is invest in heaven. Invest in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Guess what's not in heaven? Moths. Rust. There's no rust in heaven. There's no entropy in heaven. And isn't that good news? Because you're not growing old in heaven. No aches and pains in heaven. No entropy. Now, what are heavenly treasures? That's what you want to know, isn't it? What are heavenly treasures? Treasures in heaven, Jesus spoke of, were rewards God will give his faithful followers. Good works done for Christ after salvation. Remember, salvation is a gift of God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You'll never, ever, ever be judged for your sins. Covered. Done. Eradicated. Eliminated from your existence, at least for eternity. Jesus has taken them all. But you will be judged for your works. Now, you must have a proper perspective of this. So Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, this temporary stuff, but but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Listen to Peter. What would he says? We have an inheritance, incorruptible, no entropy, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away. And I feel like going, yeah, thank you, God. Thank you. Does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. You. Put your name there. You're born again of the Spirit. You. You. Make no mistake. Now, I don't want to have anybody walk out of here thinking we're saved by works. Did you? I hope you didn't hear that. Make no mistake. We're saved by grace through faith alone. In Christos. In Christ alone. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 could not be more clear. For by grace you are saved. The subject of that sentence is salvation, not faith. By grace, not grace or faith. By grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift, a gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. But verse 10 says this make no mistake, once we're saved, we are to do good works. That's verse 10. For we are his workmanship. You know what that word means? His poem, his masterpiece. Jesus saved you, and now he looks at you as his poem, his masterpiece. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? To sit around? To whistle? I guess you could whistle while you work. Whistle while you work. You know, it doesn't. No, it's for good works. Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him, in them. Now listen to this. You were saved to work for the king. You were saved to give your life as a sacrifice for him. He already sacrificed everything for us. He's just calling us to do a little bit of stuff while we're here for his honor and his glory. That is what we are to do. Now, you will be rewarded, but where will you be rewarded? It's at the Bema Seat Judgment. Now, we've been through this several times, so I won't make this long and lengthy, and I didn't have a lot of pictures for this because we've been through it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15, you'll see one of the verses that speak about the Bema Seat. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which I'll mention in just a second, also speaks about the Bema Seat judgment. This is the place where we receive rewards or loss of rewards. Nothing to do with salvation. That's already been secured for you. This is a, this is a judgment for what you have done for Christ after salvation. Watch what he says here in verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay except Jesus. You don't build your life on you. You don't build your life on your neighbor's life. You don't build your life on your career. You, don't build, your, you build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on, Jesus, on this foundation, if gold, silver, and precious stones, rewarded. Wood, hay, and stubble, no reward. All burned up. You did it for yourself. And then he says this. This is the judgment that each believer will stand before. Now look, at either you're going to stand before this judgment or you'll stand before the great white throne judgment, which I'll mention in just a second, is a judgment of the lost at the end of the millennial reign of Christ. More on that in just a second. Each one's work will become clear for that day, that judgment day will declare it. 
because it will be revealed by fire. And fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, what does fire do with wood, hay, or stubble? Poof. What does it do with gold, silver, precious stones? Purifies. Purifies. If anyone's work has, is built on endures, he will receive a reward, a mythos, a mythos, a, re- a recompense, a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. That means to experience detriment. I can sense that that's going to be the, the I bet that's kind of the feeling that we'll have all of us. That I could have done more, Lord. And I think that, I don't think Jesus is going to be, have this posture. I think Jesus is going to have this posture. I love you. I love you. I love you. That's the posture I think he's going to have. You will suffer loss and just in your spirit say, oh, Jesus, you did so much. I wish I would have done more. And he himself will be saved, yet as through the fire. The Bema Seat Judgment, a judgment of works post-salvation. Now, I want to give you a little journey here, a little backstory, a little bit of revelation. No, not revelations. But the eschatological, now you know what eschatology is. It's a study of end times. So this is the end times timeline from a tree-tribulation view. That's what I believe to be true. There's others that don't, but I do. I believe we're in the church age right now, 2,000 or so years right now. Since the time Jesus left, we are in this time here. I believe the next thing on the prophetic scale is the rapture of the church. When the church is taken to heaven, we will experience something called the Bema Seat Judgment, which I've just elucidated or, or talked about. This is a judgment of rewards or loss of rewards. Then you will have the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is where we're, our marriage is consummated with the Lord Jesus. Remember, you are the bride of Christ. And you'll become officially wed to Christ at the marriage supper. Then you will come back. Jesus will lead the parade. And he'll defeat Antichrist and the false prophet. They'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Satan will be bound for a thousand years in the pit. And there will be the millennial reign of Christ. Satan's bound. Christ is ruling. Earth is great and wonderful. Then Satan is released for a very short period of time in Revelation chapter 20. He deceives the nations as the sand of the sea. And I don't have the time to get into a lot of explanation for that right now. But he does. And his rebellion is put down very quickly. And he's thrown into the lake of fire where the false prophet and the Antichrist have been for a thousand years. And then what happens is something called the Great White Throne Judgment, where all the dead who have been unbelievers are raised to be judged. And they'll be judged according to their works. The books will be opened, the book of life will be there, and their names will be not found in the book of life. Now, their works will determine their degree of separation from God, what they've done. They will end up, all of them, at the great white throne, will end up in the lake of fire, separated from God forever. This is a horrific scene. All because they wanted to do it their way. They wanted to reject Jesus, say, I don't need you, Jesus, stiff-arm Jesus, and wanted to do life their way. Separated from God forever. There could not be a, a sadder scene that anybody could, could, could think of than that. So, That's what's coming. Now, at the Bema Seat Judgment, you're going to get rewards, loss of rewards. But I want you to think about something. There, At at the Corinthian Games were the second most significant games to the Olympic Games in Rome. And you had the Bema Seat that was there. And we'll have a picture come up here of the Bema Seat. And this is is where the rewards were given. If you go to Israel today and you'll, you'll take your little tour and you go here and you get to see this little... Bema seat judgment. Now, this was ornate. This was all decorated. There's thousands of people here, and the athlete would march onto the stage, get his reward, get his crown, and march off, and everybody be clapping and that sort of thing. But I want you to notice something here. This has worn down, isn't it? What do we call that? Entropy. Wearing down. Everything wears down. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand before our Lord and give an account of our lives. Those things done for self will account for nothing. Burned up wood, hay, 
stubble, useless. Tragedy. Verse 21 could not be clear. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The thing a person values most, he treasures, inevitably will occupy their heart, the center of their being. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard what you allow into your mind, into your spirit. Guard it because it wants to take you away from God. Everything in this culture wants to take you away. Invest in a solid future. Hebrews 6.10 says this, The Lord is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love that you've shown towards his name, and that you minister and do minister to the saints. You, you serve. You used your spiritual gifts. Verse 22 and 23 is going to talk about a good heart or a bad heart. Or a, He uses the, the eye as an as a illustration. The lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your body is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, if you're just doing a cursory read through that section, you won't pause for a second to say, what in the world is he talking about there? Hmm. Hmm. Well, we're going to have some help here. A guy named Robert Dean, which I've been listening to, says this. It's a Hebrew idiom. A good eye is showing what is in the soul, what is in the heart. The good eye can be healthy and generous. The bad eye, someone with a bad eye, is tight and stingy with their money, saying, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Selfish. Give it to me. It's mine. Now, we have a word for this. I don't know if it came up yet. Okay, that's it. We call this king baby. I want this. This is what your flesh is. Notice that he's well-fed. Well-fed. Flesh is always well-fed. I am king baby. And then we have these two little kids fighting. You've seen this before. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Now, we look at this, and we laugh, and we, we, we think it's kind of funny. But think about yourself. That's my promotion. That's my parking spot. That's my right. I deserve my rights. We do this all the time. It's mine. The bad eye says it's mine. The good eye says it's God. How are you viewing your stuff? Are you a caretaker of the master's goods? Or a, or a hoarder of your own stuff? Listen to a couple proverbs that might help you with this. One is about the evil eye and one is about a, a good eye. Proverbs 28.22 says this, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider poverty will come upon him. You know what that reminds me of? The casino. Hastening after riches, not knowing that poverty will come upon you. And by the way, when you talk about riches being fleeting, think about this. Just wait for the next Wall Street crash. You cannot live in a nation that has incalculable debt and not have a consequence. Proverbs 22.9 says this, He who is generous has a good eye, will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. What you have, hold on to loosely, loosely, have an open hand with your stuff, willing to share, willing to give. Why? Because you are a steward of what you have. Now, more on stewardship here. A definition of a steward is this, one who manages another's affairs and property. Now, who would be the one that we're managing affairs for? God, Jesus, God. It would be, it would be our, our Lord. I'm a steward of three things. Now, hear this. Who I am. Now, look, you're a child of God. You're a son, a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. With that comes responsibility. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I belong to God. I am not an earth child. I am not an earth dweller. Remember in the book of Revelation, talked about earth dwellers. Those ones rebelling against, rebelling against, rebelling against Jesus. I'm a steward of who I am. Secondly, of what I have, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything that I have comes from my God. 
And then what I do while I am here. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, he's talking about spiritual gifts, minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, what is a spiritual gift? If you've been here a long time, you know. If you haven't been here a long time, you might not know. If you've been here a long time and wasn't listening, then now you have a chance to know, okay? So, a spiritual gift is this. It's a divine endowment given by the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation to edify, encourage, build up the body of Christ. It is given to you to be used for others. That is what a spiritual gift is. There's four equipping gifts. Apostle, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. And then there's a a flurry of other gifts. I'll just give you some, some samples. The gift of encouragement. Now, you with the gift of encouragement are welcome right here. Welcome in my heart. I will just embrace you because I need encouragement and you probably do too. Encouragement, knowledge, wisdom, faith, healings, discernment, miracles, tongues, interpretation of tongues. The list goes on. Everyone has been given a spiritual gift to use within the body. That is one of the things I think you're really going to be judged for because the Holy Spirit has given it to you special to be used within the body of Christ. Now remember this, it's not mine. It's God's. The stuff idols have an enormous pull. And remember this, I, I wanted to find, a, if I could do PowerPoint decent, I would have put a picture up here. Stuff idols want you, with a finger pointing at you. Your stuff idols want you. Careful, the stuff idols want to capture your soul, engulf your entire being. That's the truth. This is important. You can, you can have stuff but don't allow the stuff to have you. That's an important point. God is not stingy. God does enjoy to give to his people. Again, 1 Timothy 6, 17, command those who are rich in this world not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He is not stingy. Verse 24, choose you this day whom you will serve. This is a moment-to-moment decision. Day by day, choose you this day whom you will serve. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. And then watch how wishy-washy Jesus is here. You cannot serve God and mammon. Is that wishy-washy or is that straightforward? Straightforward. Nothing confusing about that. You cannot serve God and mammon cannot be done. So that's the crux of it, this whole talk. Who will you serve? Where do you want the glory to go? I loved Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders, I think, was the greatest running back in the history of football. Look what he accomplished with the Detroit Lions line. Put him out there in some other place where they had actual line, okay? I mean, that guy was amazing, and he had the greatest spirit. When he went into the, into the end zone and got a touchdown for the millionth time, it wasn't pounding his chest, pointing it. He just laid the ball down, walked off the field like it's, that's it. I mean, what character. What an amazing thing. Who are you serving, folks? Who are you serving? The word serve is dulio. Now, it comes from the word dulos, and you know what a dulos is. A doulos is a bondservant. It means enslaved to and bondage to. A doulos of Christ is a willing slave. I'm a bondservant of the master. Willingly. He's bought me. He's purchased me. He's done everything for me. And I give my life to him. Willingly. My will consumed with the will of the master. That's what a bondservant is. And Jesus said very clearly, you cannot serve be enslaved to God and money. You cannot be enslaved to your stuff idols. And listen to this. A divided allegiance is non-allegiance. You cannot say, I can have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the world, kind of blend them together. Oh, no. No. Choose you who you, to say whom you will serve. 
And again, it's a moment-by-moment thing. What am I going to watch on TV? What am I going to allow into my mind? Who am I going to hang around with that could steal my, steal my heart, steal my loyalty to my God? Where am I going to place myself? What am I going to do? A divided allegiance is non-allegiance, and God will cause you to choose. Remember, he's a jealous God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. He will cause you to choose. God will not share his glory with your idol. He will not. Isaiah 42.8, it makes it clear. Now, Isaiah is a prophet. He wrote 100 or 150 years before they went into captivity, Babylonian captivity. He's warning the nation, turn and live. Turn and live. Don't go down the same path. Don't worship the gods of the culture because Israel was getting getting caught up in all the gods of the nations around them and worshiping them and worshiping God, a divided allegiance. And God says, no, you will not, you cannot do that. You are my people. And he says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Folks, the stuff idols are real. The, the gods of this age are real, and these gods want you. And I want you to, there's a picture here of a Hindu god. Now notice, this is in the water, and this is some celebration that they have. But there's 1.2 billion people that are caught up in Hinduism, worshiping false gods. What a tragedy. Now we have a mission organization, if you stay for the meeting, it's called Mission India. And they have Bible... Uh, studies that they do with people and missionaries that they raise up and they're making impacts in, in, in this Hindu population. But believe me, Hinduism is not friendly to Christians. And their prime minister now is particularly onerous against Christians. And Christian persecution in that country has increased tremendously. Now, the next picture I'm going to show you is a place in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. And they go to this place where these, these idols are worshipped, okay? And these idols were called Pan gods. This was the god of Pan. Now, in this place, Jesus makes a statement to his disciples. He says this, Who do men say that I am? Looking at these idols, okay? Who do men say that I am? And they, somebody in the group responds, Some say John. Some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he looks at all the 12 and he says, but who do you say that I am? And in that group, Peter stands up. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed to this to you, but my father who is in heaven has revealed this. I want to suggest to you that everyone here that has been born again of the spirit, father has revealed the son to you. You didn't come into this thing without God doing something in you to change your cold, hard heart to bring you into the family of God. He's taken the blinders off your eyes, allowed you to see. He's allowed you to hear the word of God, feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then you at some point said, yes, Jesus, I received the gift. No works. Jesus just hands it out to you and says, receive it. That is what the process of salvation is the stuff gods are real. Those gods want to steal your life. Some closing thoughts. Joshua will give us a heads up at how to be blessed in this evil world. And if you want to, you can turn to Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. If you wanted to follow along with me. Now, the picture is this. Joshua is going into the promised land. The Hebrew children were in 400 years of Egyptian captivity. They were freed. They had a chance to go into the promised land. And they were afraid of the ites that were in the land. They're giants in the land. We're afraid of them. They've been delivered from umpteen things by God. You had the ten plagues on Egypt. Each one attacking the Egyptian gods. Each one demonstrating that Jehovah was the true God. And then they make their escape through the wilderness. 
They get trapped at the Red Sea. And what does God do? He puts a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud between them and the Egyptian army. He splits the Red Sea. They walk over on dry ground. They get to the other side. Pharaoh, in his brilliance, decides he's going to chase them with these mountains of water on both sides. And then, boom, the water comes down on them and they drown. And now they're going into the promised land. They're one month into the land. One month, they're going into the promised land, and now they're scared. I mean, look what God has done for them. Now they're scared. And Joshua now has been given the mandate to carry the baton, so to speak, to get the people into the promised land because Moses dies before he goes to the promised land. There's a whole backstory to that. And so that's the setting. Now Joshua knows what awaits the people in the land. When they go into the land, there's going to be all kinds of idols, all kinds of false gods, all kinds of things you're going to run into, much like in this country. America was founded on biblical principles. And in America at one time, the predominant God was Jehovah. That no longer exists. Now the God of this age is the self-God. Me, myself, and I. The God, other gods have crept into the culture. And God, our God, has been pushed out of the culture. And he warns the people that are staying, we are here in this culture, to be careful of these gods that want to steal your attention. Steal your attention. And he says this to the people. And therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth. Take a pause. Fear the Lord. How much fear of God do you think exists in this country today as we stiff arm him, as we spit in his face with marriage? There's no such thing as gay marriage, folks. That's a human development. God endorsed marriage. As we spit in the face and we kill our children with impunity, that is, that, how long can God tolerate, tolerate us? Where's the fear of the God in America? Where's the fear of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where many, 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 the vast majority have compromised and embraced these things. It is tragic. It is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking what has happened. Fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth as he really is. And put away the gods of your fathers that you served on the other side of the river. He's talking about the Euphrates River, Ur of Chaldeans, where Abraham was called out of worshiping the moon gods. And in Egypt, where you had umpteen different gods. And then he cries out with an exclamation point, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Serve Jehovah. Serve Yahweh. And then he says this, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And again, that's a daily moment-by-moment decision. Whether the gods of your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the god of the Amorites whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, let this resonate within your spirit. We will serve the Lord. Now we're going to say that again. I don't do this very often. You know that. So let's say this together. We will serve the Lord with passion, with commitment. We will serve the Lord. Where is your treasure? That is the question. Only you can answer that. How is your vision? Who are you serving? And I pray that in our moment to moment, my moment to moment, your moment to moment, we're going to choose God. We're going to choose His way. Each person must decide whom they will serve. It gets down to the individual. It's not families. It's not because my mom and dad are serving. I'm okay. No, no, it's individual. You're going to serve the stuff God idols or the true God. Now listen to this. God's promise to you, living in this stuff God world, is the following. Watch this. God's promise to you who choose to serve him. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace. Now do you think that's something we need today in our spirits? Great peace have those who love your law or love your word, and nothing can make them stumble. Your stuff, gods, cannot do this. How about John 14, 27? Jesus speaking, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. 
Not as the world gives. The world cannot give you this. I do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, agitated, stirred up. Neither let it be afraid. Your stuff gods cannot help you in this area. You have some big problem. Go out in your garage, look at your stuff, and tell me how that helps you. John 16.33 says this. These things I have spoken. Jesus says this. I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Notice that may have. That's conditional. That's conditional upon you. What are you going to choose? What are you going to choose in this mess? In this, in, he says this, I have spoken to you, in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. You know that word, philispus, crushings, turnings, tearing of lives apart. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Stuff gods cannot help you. Hebrews 13.5, keep your lives free of the love of money and be content with what you have. How many people can you, do you know that are living there? including myself, because God has said, neither will I leave you. Oh, don't you love this? Neither will I forsake you. I will never, never, you know how that goes? That's five times in the Greek. I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. That is what I want. My stuff gods can't help me. Think about this. The stuff gods are not with you when your child is in the ICU dying. Your stuff gods cannot help you when your child goes off the rails and says, I'm going to worship a different God, Dad. I don't want your God. And your heart breaks as you know what's going to happen to that person. It's just tragic. Your stuff gods will not help you when your beloved moves into eternity. And you're alone. Your stuff gods won't help you, but your God will. The scuff gods will not be with you when you lose your job, you don't get the promotion, or you're criticized because you're a Christian. Folks, if you're criticized as a Christian in your job place, I've said this before, run home, get your journal open, and say, praise God, today I was criticized for being a Christian. That is how you handle that. The stuff God will not be with you when your world caves in. And your stuff God promises you happiness and delivers empty clouds, trees without fruit, as it says in Jude 12, empty promises. The stuff gods cannot give you anything but stuff and a desire for more stuff. That's what your stuff gods will do. A constant lack of fulfillment and peace, a constant feeling of frustration. Scripture tells us clearly about the stuff gods. And it tells us who the chief stuff god is. Satan is the chief of the stuff gods. And in John 10.10 part A says this. Watch what the stuff gods want. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants. He wants you distracted and you taken out of the way. And Jesus says in the last part of that verse, but I have come to, that you may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. Jesus offers the abundant life, the abundant life. Folks, you can take this to the bank. Jesus will always be with you. When things are happening to you that you cannot understand and your world is caving in and you can't, you don't, you can't hardly take another breath your Jesus is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When the world caves in, and it will, Jesus will be your source of strength and rest. Your job, if you want to enter into this, is to live out Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That verse is actually talking about salvation, but it could talk about your life too. Come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll save your life. Be yoked to me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will help you carry your burden. I will help you carry your load. You can't carry it. But I can. Jesus can. And then he says in Matthew 28, 20, listen to these last words that Jesus speaks. As he's getting, he finishes with his disciples. 
giving the Great Commission. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you through the good. I am with you through the bad. I am with you through the ugly of life. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Folks, it doesn't seem difficult to me. It doesn't seem difficult to me, like a difficult decision. Everything here winds down. Everything here loses its glitter. Everything here loses its joyfulness. Everything here will be burned. Jesus has made it simple. Jesus or stuff? Now, if we were to take a poll, which one do you want to serve, Jesus or stuff? Well, Jesus, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yeah. But when we get out of here and the gods of the world come at you, then it's, oh, I'm a little, I, I like that smell over there. Hey, be careful. Stay yoked to Jesus. You cannot serve both. Jesus made it simple. You cannot serve both. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve two masters. Joshua encouraged the nation to choose rightly. And I pray today for us, for us, that we will choose rightly. Moment by moment, day by day, week by week, that we choose rightly. Serve God or serve the stuff idols. Moment by moment decision again. And remember, the stuff gods want you. The idle stuff. Now, there's more than just stuff gods. Think about anxiety. Think about worry. Think about fear. Those are idols. Those are idols that want to steal our lives. And then let the whole world know with boldness, with boldness, fortitude, courage, Holy Spirit, strength, that all may know where we stand. There should be no equivocating. People need to know, must know where we stand. Folks, this is, this is no longer a gray world. It is black, it is white. Either you're in or you're out. Choose you this day whom you shall serve. Right, wrong, however you want to put it. Deuteronomy 31.6 says this. For each one of you, this is written to the nation again, in going into these, this, these worlds, this, this idle world. Be strong and of good courage. That is God's word to us. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. I don't know what you're facing today, but I know there's lots of things that want to steal my joy, to steal my peace, and to make me live in fear. They are there. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, the Creator Elohim, not these little gods, these little insignificant ones that want to steal your joy. The Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He takes you by the hand and He'll take you through the fire. He takes you by the hand and He'll go through the floods. He takes you by the hand, He'll get you to the other side. You will make it safe. Stay yoked to your Jesus. Stay yoked to Him. And finally, resolved. Resolved in your mind. Resolve this. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Resolved. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Selah. Selah. You know, 71 psalms end with selah. It's a musical pause. It's a musical pause. It means pause carefully. Weigh the meaning. Think about this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Make that commitment. Put it in your heart. Live it out. The only way you can is to be yoked to Jesus. Father, thank you for this time to study your word. Thank you for these wonderful Bible students that come and hear. Lord, you've spoken to each one of our hearts. And as always, God, you've given us information, not just to have information. To, you, you've, you've given this stuff for us to change, for us to turn. Holy Spirit, you do the work at each heart. The words I speak are meaningless if they are not empowered by, your, by you, Holy Spirit. So you touch each person in their area of need. There are people that are hurting, people that are afraid, people that are fearful, people that are dealing with other idols and gods and stuff. 
Help each one of us to deal with whatever issues out there. God, we need you. Jesus, we want to be yoked to you. Come. Come into our spirits. Give us your peace that passes all understanding. You said you would. I want to focus on you and not on my situation. Great peace of those who love your word, and nothing can make them stumble. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.